right. Well, we are in week two, as Ryan told you, of our regroup campaign. And at Southwest, it is always time to join or start a small group because we're trying to make disciples through relationships. It's the way Jesus did it when he came. And it's the way we feel like he still wants to do it with us and among us. Uh, but during this time, every fall, we put special attention and special focus during this regroup campaign to try to make it easier for you to join or start a small group if you are not connected to one. And that may be because you're brand new to us or maybe because you've been disconnected from groups for a long time. Maybe you've been burned by groups in the past. I don't know what it is, but we want to, we want to help you to connect with this church family in that way. So I hope you're, you're taking advantage of our efforts for this month. <clears throat> Last week, I spent some time introducing our uh, series theme on hospitality, and we looked at specific texts in the New Testament, three to be exact, that mention the word hospitality and call for Christians to make that practice, the practice of hospitality, that's what it is, it's something you do, okay, um, a priority. It's not optional. For the Christian we looked at last week, it's central. I showed how it's central to the heart of God, to what he's done for us in the story, what he's done for you, and how it's central to the mission of the church. The, the church is doomed to failure without this practice. Without this practice, no one's coming. Why would they bother? And no one's staying. Not without this practice. So hospitality, hospitality last week, I kind of threw it on you. Even though it's a nice, friendly word to us, it is a huge priority. It's a heavy subject. It is a weighty, meaningful, significant call from God on us. But on the flip side of that weightiness, it's big, important, but it's important for us to remember, and Kyle and I were talking about this week, and he reminded me, it's not difficult. Right? This isn't particularly difficult of a concept to fathom. Okay? It's, not, it's not hard to know what it is. And yeah, it involves people, so sure, it can get messy, messy, but it's not particularly difficult to practice. But it's central, and because it's central, you need to know it is opposed. I'm talking spiritually. It is opposed. There's a conspiracy to keep the church in particular from being hospitable at all. The world and its ways, just go back to the pandemic, is working against hospitality, right? The flesh and our ways, our normal human gravity, it's working against us prioritizing hospitality. And the enemy, God's enemy, those three are kind of an unholy trinity working against the practice of hospitality. And they don't have to work hard. All they got to do is accomplish this. They just got to make it inconvenient for you. That's it. They don't have a big line to cross. They just need to do what you want to do already. And that's not bother. That's not be bothered. It's not be inconvenienced. And so it's a massive priority, but it's opposed. And so I also last week just did my best to give you a decent definition biblically of what Christian hospitality is versus the world's version of hospitality. And this is it. Loving and welcoming strangers into our living spaces 
with no expectation or need of any kind of return. So I won't re-preach that whole thing last week, but I will remind you of this in that definition. A couple of things I want to highlight as we get into today. Your hospitality isn't Christian if it is always or only with those you already know and love. Okay, remember the root word, hospitality. It, it, it means more than this, but it means no less than this. It is love of strangers. That means you can't already know and love them and express Christian hospitality. And second, your hospitality isn't Christian if you expect some kind of return. That's the world's hospitality. It's called the hospitality industry. They do the acts. They do actions of love and welcome for a return of money. No money, no love and welcome. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. Now, we don't typically go for money, so we'll, we'll poo-poo the world and the hospitality industry. They're not supposed to do that, right? Can I say poo-poo? I did. But we might do other things. We might expect acknowledgement. We might offer hospitality and expect appreciation and gratitude. We might expect to find some kind of uh, value by the people we're inviting to say, yes, that might make us feel good because of who they are. That's an expectation of return. And that's not Christian. We might want credit for that. We might want not just acknowledgement, but we might want friendship out of the people we invite. And if we get anything short of some best friends out of the people we're giving friendship to, we're disappointed and hurt after all we've done. Right? It's not hospitality if you do that. One quick story that, to just exemplify this. One time, my wife and I, this is years and years ago, we were invited by this nice couple. They wanted to have us over for dinner, and this is like 10, 10, 11 years ago when I was on, I don't know if y'all remember, I was on this very strict diet, trying to whip my body into shape. I was going to do this race, just, I really needed it. I know I need it again, but I, I was on a strict diet. And for me, if I'm going to be on a diet, it's got to be simple, no brainer, no thinking. And so I got this professional that was perfect for me, six meals a day, same exact meal every time of the day, every day for as long as I want to stay on it. That's what I need. I don't need to be thinking, what do I feel like eating right now? Because that's always Doritos. And so I just need to schedule. So anyway, they, and this is weird socially, right? This is weird when you commit to something like this. So this sweet couple, like a lot of people have, they, they invited us over to eat. So I did what I did during that whole six-month period where I was doing this. It's like, man, we would love to come over, but hey, don't worry about feeding me. Okay, even the time they were having me was in between my two, two of them, meal four and five. And, you know, I think my meal that I'm going to have at that time is like a protein shake. So you can't even cook for me. Don't worry about that. Just we will come over and enjoy your hospitality. And I remember this, this sweet lady's like, but, but, but that, but that's literally, she's going, but that's what I do. That is, that's what I do. And I felt this, oh, okay, okay, yeah, no problem, no problem. So I went off my, I became the hospitable one, right? I welcomed her to, to welcome me. 
And I went off, the only time in that six months I went off my diet was for this person who was expecting something in return, right? It's not horrible, but it's not Christian. It's not Christian hospitality. And I just point that out because it's sneaky. It's sneaky in there. So today I want to look, this won't surprise anyone, today I want to look at Jesus as our model of hospitality. Because there's some depth to this. There's not just the practices, the outward expressions. There's some depth to this that he's a master of, and I want us to be a master of. Now, before, before we look at Jesus briefly this morning, I want to talk about two of these stereotypical, rightly, stereotypical resources that we use for hospitality, okay? Your home and food. Okay, these are universally kind of thought of as the primary resources for hospitality. And that's right. That's right. I'm affirming that. There, the home, your home, because there is, remember the definition. The definition is inviting people into your living space. And your living space, there's no space more your living space than where you live. There's no space more your space than that space where you live. It is designed by you, for you. And so it is appropriate to be thinking primarily and firstly of your home. And then food, there's really nothing, when you really think about, who thinks about a theology of food, except during a hospitality series, but, you know, there is a theology of food all over Scripture, and nothing offers a gesture of welcome, I love you, than the offer of food. And I think that's because all, all through history to this day, food, when you offer it, that is a offer of your work. You worked for that food. That's why we work, is to feed ourselves, feed our family. And food is a felt need. It's a, it's a basic human need. So when you offer food, you probably just don't think of this. You're just being hospitable and friendly. But you are offering, not just to meet a basic human need of someone, but you're offering something that you have worked for. So you're literally offering something of yourself. So it's right. It's right that these two stereotypical images of hospitality surface in your mind, and I do not want them to go away. Um, however, what a look at Jesus tells us is that hospitality is much more just a way of being, okay, a way of being than it is a specific, the specific resource you use to express it. So much so that I've told you what Christian hospitality is not, now let me tell you, your hospitality can be Christian even if it doesn't involve you opening your literal home. Okay? And some of you are like, <laughs> yes, that's great. You should see my house. That's why I said welcoming them into our living spaces. So there's lots of places where you're at home, aren't there? Spaces where you live and that belong to you. You know, this place is a home for many of you in here. This is your place. This is your space. You feel at home. You're supposed to use this space in hospitality. The golf course is home for some of you. When you invite somebody to go golfing with you, you're inviting them right into your living space. And that counts. I've already told you, my office, Blue Sky and Rudy's, are extensions of my living space. When you come to eat with me at one of those two restaurants, you're coming into my place. 
I am welcoming you. I am very comfortable there. Hunting is for some of you. Hiking is for some of you. You, you know all those places count. I could go on and on, but those should, can and should be used in your Christian practice of hospitality. And proof positive that it doesn't have to be your home is Jesus. Jesus didn't have a home. Right? He didn't have, he didn't have a house. He didn't have a living room. So we know, in fact, he, now he was always at home, even though this world is not his home. He was at home here. At the end of Luke, I don't know if you remember, he got invited in the hospitality of those, that couple on the Emmaus walk. And then he took the bread and offered it to them and welcomed them to their table. This guy is hospitable. All right? So you can be that too. It, it doesn't have to, but it, it can include your literal house. And then second, likewise... On the food, your hospitality can be Christian, even if it doesn't involve food. That probably doesn't surprise you to hear me say that in light of what I just said about your living space. But does it surprise you that I did pause before I typed that into my notes? I went, not because it's not true. It is true. There's plenty of expressions in Jesus' life of hospitality without it and in yours. But I just started going, so many of the examples in Scripture do involve food, but not all of them. But here's the real reason I struggled with it is you can, but why would you? Like, why, why would you do it without food if, if you have the option? You know, when I get up and preach about fasting, you know, that's always a challenge. That's hard, and it's a good discipline. I would expect you to be happy that I'm saying you can eat your way into Christianity here, right? Food can be involved. It's a big, major part. So you, you hear what I'm saying. All right, so I've got several of the ideas of the qualities of Christ, at least approaching it that way. There's so many, but I've picked four that I think are really important to the uh, practice of hospitality that we see exhibited and taught in the life of Jesus. And I got that angle on it from a little book called Extraordinary Hospitality by Carolyn Lacey. I really recommend it. It's not a heavy or hard read, but it will give you a deep dive into some of these qualities of Christ that he's a master of and makes him a master of hospitality wherever he goes that I want us to grow into, that I want us to become masters of. So the first one I want to point out is compassion. It's just being people of compassion. So in Carolyn's book, when she's talking about compassion, she talks, she asks, are there people in movies and characters that you just love to hate? She has one from Charles Dickens, who has a novel called Bleak House. I haven't read it, so some of you might know this person. The character's name is, his name is Mrs. Jellybee. So Mrs., not Jellybean, but Jellybee, Jellybee. Mrs. Jellybee was obsessed with her latest social project, and that was the relocation of some poor families in the Boreobula tribe in Africa. Okay, and so her life is consumed with this campaign. She is working hard to get these poor families in Africa Moved, and she spends every waking hour working on this campaign for this very worthy project while her own children are neglected, they run wild, they're dirty, they're uneducated. Her husband is completely neglected by her, and as a matter of fact, goes bankrupt for her mission, for her compassion project. And there are literally homeless children and families sweeping the streets around her house, but they're invisible to her. So Mrs. Jellybee, Carolyn points out, would consider herself compassionate. She is giving her life 
to this social justice project of this needy people group. But she's blind to the people that God had put right in front of her. Her evaluation of that is she likes the idea, the subject of compassion, but if she had true compassion, she would serve those right in front of her. And her compassion, if it kicked in, is what would fuel that. So in Luke 10, Jesus paints the complete opposite picture by telling this story of a man who got robbed on this road. Two religious people go by. This is a Jewish man, and two Jewish religious leaders walk by, and he's just basically invisible to them for some reason. And the hero of the story is this Samaritan who's com- they're, they're completely enemies, really, in, in several categories of life. But it's the Samaritan who sees him, goes to him, bandages his wounds, welcomes him onto his donkey, takes him to the next town, buys a hotel, and promises to take care of that. What fueled that in, with the unlikely character in the story. What fueled that? Well, it's in Luke 10, 33. It says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So that Greek word, compassion, is the word splunknon, and it implies a literal feeling that you get down in the, like the guts. That word has guts in it. And it implies that you're, you're feeling a suffering with someone else. And you've probably felt this before. But is it typical for you? It's what Jesus holds up. It's what he says we're supposed to have. I got to pause here, do something I didn't plan. I, if, if you don't, because this isn't something you white knuckle and just, I'm going to feel their suffering, right? You should try if you haven't. I don't think that, I think that's noble work, but you're really asking God's spirit to come in and break your heart and open up your life to being a person of compassion. Compassion, be careful, because it ruins your life. It ruins your life. You will be motivated to be inconvenienced for the rest of your life by those right around you. Some of, most of you know what, how special it was, what we just heard. Like I could go home when Roger just came up here. Roger just came up here and shared what he has in Christ. Back in February 8th and 9th, he and I were both at the hospital with our loved ones uh, facing death. Mine turned and had the best possible outcome. His turned and had the worst. And our sweet Amy, his wife, his kid's mom, passed away. And so that just wasn't long ago. And so to hear him get up there and share how precious life is and how great Jesus is. Life is hard. Life is hard, he said. Jesus is good. That day, I know we both, because we've had lunch about this, and we both, like, were forced into a fellowship of the suffering that we don't want anyone to have to join. And him worse than than me, and you worse than me. But you don't want that to happen, so pray. Ask God to make you a man or woman of compassion. How are you at feeling compassion? like Jesus, and really seeing people, and suffering with them. I'll give you two for one. These are two, two qualities I think are important for hospitality that Jesus embodies, but I'll give you two for one with this story. Barrier breaking and inclusivity. 
It's in John 4, there's this woman who carried just a lot of shame because of this string of failed relationships. She'd had five husbands, and she was currently uh, living with another man in sin. And uh, she went out to the local well uh, in the heat of the day because she didn't want to go when all the other women went out. She's just completely full of shame, ostracized by her own shame and mistakes that she's made. And so she goes out there, and Jesus happens to be there, happens to be there. And he reaches out to her and welcomes her into a conversation with him that ultimately fills her with this hope and zeal and boldness to even run right back into her town in spite of all that shame and share some good news about Jesus with all those people that judge her. Okay? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. How did that happen? And to you and me, that's no big deal. Yeah, of course, Jesus started a conversation. But to do that, I want to point out that there are at least three very established social barriers that Jesus had to cross over just to talk to her. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. That was one. She was a woman. He was a man. She was an obvious sinner that men did not want to be seen with for what they would be associated with with her. Okay? And so to welcome her into his life, into this conversation, to welcome her to hear his message, he had to go through a racial barrier. He had to go through a religious barrier. He had to go through a gender barrier. I could probably come up with some other social status barrier. On this one story, he just left right all over. He just snubbed his nose at all those things. He poo-pooed all those things just so that he could welcome and love this stranger. I'm not making this up. It's right there in the story. John 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw the water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman didn't say, yeah, sure, here. She goes, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. She's like, what are you doing? Talking to me. This isn't appropriate. And so he jumps over that so that he could include her. Surprising inclusivity. So how are you? How are you at breaking barriers and being surprisingly inclusive of others like Jesus was? Then another quality I wanted to talk about today is awareness. Awareness. Now, both stories I've already mentioned kind of already highlight the fact that he sees people. He walks into the scene. I just picture him. He walks into Walmart. And even if he's going shopping for something, he still has a bigger priority. He sees the people in Walmart, not just the thing he's after. Goes to a restaurant to eat. He's there to eat, but he sees the people in the restaurant, the ones serving him, the, the ones around him. He, he notices. So I think he's already exhibited, you know, the Samaritans saw the man and and uh, he saw the woman. But I'm talking about a different kind of awareness, a level deeper, if you'll go with me here. And that is an awareness, not just that there are people that I don't know, but they have specific needs. And I'll just use this story. I don't know if it's the best story for this, but his ministry, his hospitality was not a one-size-fits-all, right? Like my friend, my sweet friend, she's like, this is what I do. I cook this meal. Everyone needs to fit into my way of doing hospitality. That's a, not even as deep of a 
example as I'm using here. But in Luke 19, there's this tax collector named Zacchaeus in a town called Jericho. And I told you this in Luke, tax collectors are just, they're Jews, but they're despised by the other Jews because they've chosen to profit um, off of their tax collecting. They've chosen to uh, move up the ladder financially and they're by cheating their neighbors. So he'd chosen this wealth over social acceptance there. And so, but Jesus comes through and everybody had heard of Jesus at this point. They're all wanting to see him and he wanted to see him, but he's a short guy. And so they're, they're not inclined to, yeah, yeah, here, come on up front and see him, you know? They, so he climbs a tree and Jesus sees him. That, that's his one awareness. I called it last week, your, did I call it your hospitality radar? I'll go further. It's your HR department. You should have a hospitality radar, like always going, like right here in this space. You know, if everyone in here just had a 15 foot, you know, circumference of people with, there's people I don't know within 15 feet of me. Boy, we would cover it right here. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to remedy that because I'm an hospitable person. So he saw him, but, but then he said, Hey, I'm coming to your house. (laughs) He's like, Hey, you're offering hospitality. I'm so hospitable to you. I'm coming to your house. He's just so bold and comfortable with, uh, by doing this. And so he does this. And long story short, he goes there. There are, in, in, you know, the way they do parties, there, there's a courtyard and all that. So his disciples are there. There's other tax collectors and sinners there. There's also religious people there watching what's going on. They're all seeing this. And it ends with Zacchaeus repenting of his greed. And he says this in Luke 19. Look, Lord, here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So here's my point. Both the woman at the well and this tax collector, they needed what you can assume every stranger you ever meet needs, and that is acceptance and grace and forgiveness. But Jesus was also paying attention to their unique needs. They've got unique needs. Not everyone's created equal. And so he wants to help her with what she's struggling with, this secret shame. He's wanting to help him with his social ostracization and shame, right? And so the woman needed this private gentle rebuke and this word of forgiveness and hope. This man needed the opportunity to repent publicly. And he did to make amends. So I think we can say the results of both of these were the same. They were both accepted and welcomed by Jesus. That's hospitality, right? We welcome and love strangers. And he welcomed them in the God's kingdom. But Jesus was always trying to be aware of of people's specific needs. Like I said, I don't know if those are the best examples, but they're all over scripture. How are you at that? How are you at being aware of an individual's specific needs like Jesus was? Again, it'll ruin you. If you're going to be attentive to people, first of all, it's already one level of inconvenience, but if you're going to care about what their specific need is and not just do this one-size-fits-all kind of welcome and love, then it'll ruin your life. You will be an ambassador of Christ to people. And it's the call on your life. So how are you at that? Can you relate to the idea of just simplifying? This is what I do. This is what I do. You know, I, I guess I learned that best with my kids, right? I want to be the same. I want to be fair, and I want to be good, and I want to be the same parent for each kid. 
Any parents want to laugh at me? <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. They're each different, and they have their own unique ways, needs. Now, they have some universal needs that all kids need, and we want them to get to a certain place that all kids that we want to get to, but how we're going to welcome and love our own kids is going to be different. That's true, of course, in this big, wide world we're in. So there's other, of course, there's other qualities that Jesus, of Jesus that relate to this vital practice of hospitality. Plenty for you to explore if you want to grow in these important nuances of loving and serving others. But I'm reminded of uh, one of my youth deacons when I was a youth minister. He was training a class of our, we called them lifeguards. We call them trek guides here, but small group leaders. We were training them, and he was going through just this, all these lists of qualities that, that you know, would be good for small group leaders to have in their kids. And I remember this sweet lady, her name's Irma. She's, she's listening to this and taking notes and diligently going through all that. And then my buddy Jim, who was training this, he, he said at the end, he goes, you know, what it all boils down to is, is loving them. You know, it all boils down to, to loving them. And she just went, I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed. I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed having to do all these things, but I'm in. If, if, if you, if, if it, I, I want to study these and I want to develop in these and I want to be the best I can be for these students that I'm leading in a small group. If, if, if I can just, at the end, remember that it's just about loving these kids, I can do that. I'm in. And that's what I want to remind you of. At the beginning, I, I remind you of last week that hospitality is this huge priority. It's weighty. If we don't do it, the mission of God is doomed. I mean, it's serious. It's heavy. It's big, but it's not particularly hard to grasp, and it's not particularly hard to practice. Just love and welcome people. Would you do that? Would you join in the mission of God and just love and welcome people? Our, uh, if you need a place to start, I'm going to list the three ideas I just gave you last week. Start by taking each other home after church. See, all right, you're going, hmm, I have a Sunday routine. And that's, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. All he's got to do is make it inconvenient. Just feel that. You don't have to do it this way, but I want you to feel that. It's already interrupting. It's already the world and your flesh and the enemy already conspiring. All I said was just take each other home after church or out to eat. Just go with someone you don't know very well. Make sure it's Christian because it's a stranger. Just do that. Greet people here. Greet people here that you don't know. I have a confession to make. I don't always greet people here because I'm scared to death I'm supposed to already know you and your name and your kids' names and I'm going to hurt your feelings. How many people have I overlooked who have felt like, hmm, because I'm scared? Maybe you. Greet people here. Literally welcome them. You could be the newest person here and still be the person that welcomes someone who's been here for decades and makes them feel at home. Just like Jesus. And finally, join or start a small group. It's the perfect time to welcome people into your life and be welcomed at the same time. So, I want to tell you, um, the, the highlight of this series is coming next week. Kyle Wade's going to be preaching. And I've been focusing on kind of your individual uh, 
call to be a hospitable person. He's going to focus a little more on our call as a church to be a hospitable group. The mission of God depends on it. We need to constantly be looking at it and getting better at it. Every church I've ever been associated with thinks they're the friendliest church they've ever been. And every church I've ever been in, I've heard a story of someone who got in and out and managed to not get greeted, not be welcomed. And they never come back. It's understandable. So looking forward to that next week. I will be, and I covered your prayers, I will be marrying off my oldest son, Shay. He's getting married next week in a foreign country, Oregon. So we're all flying to Oregon, and we're going to marry Shade off. So some have been asking Carrie about the shower, and I know that's a long way to go, you know, and a lot of y'all don't have your passports, so you can't come to the wedding. And so I understand that. We are planning on having a big reception here. We are so eager for sweet Emma. She's awesome. For you to meet her, but for her to meet you. So every one of you will be invited to a reception on November the 19th. That's the Saturday before Thanksgiving. We've asked them to come back to the mainland of Texas and uh, be here with us and then um, and meet all of you. So we would, we would love for you to come to that and meet them. But be praying for us as we go next week. I want to ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and just move around the room. They're going to spread out up in the balcony and right here in this room and out in the foyer. You just keep an eye out for them. If, if there's just anything related to this or not, there's anything you need. They make this move while you're still sitting to be welcoming to you, to let you know, here we are. We love you. We are coming to you. We want you, uh, if you need an interpersonal touch, to know who you can do that with. And that's these folks right here. Hospitality is welcoming people into your living spaces and creating the possibility you treat them like family when they're not, creating the possibility that you become friends. And that's great, but the real reason, the real thing we're hoping for is that your hospitality, treating them like family, does create friendship, but with God. But with God. This is His world-changing, kingdom-connecting, kingdom-advancing strategy, is hospitality. And that's why we're talking about that's why we want to become so good at it. Let's stand and let's sing and let's pray and praise God for all that he's done for us as we think about giving it to everyone else.